as that gets harder, costs go up, right? Projects get delayed. And then if you get six months down the line or a year into it and you realize, crap, this wasn't the right platform to build this on because now we want to go in this direction and it doesn't work properly, we have to start over. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever, stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives, and that mission has led me to create the Become a Better Investor community, where you get access to the tools you need to create, grow, and protect your wealth. Go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now to claim your spot. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest Rick Elmore. Rick, are you ready to join the mission? Absolutely. It's great to be here, Andrew. Thanks for having me. I am looking forward to learning from you. Let me introduce you to the audience. Rick Elmore is an entrepreneur, sales, and marketing expert. As the founder and CEO of Simply Noted, Rick developed a proprietary technology that puts real pen and ink to paper to scale handwritten communication, helping businesses of all industries scale this unique marketing platform to stand out from their competition and build meaningful relationships with clients, customers, and employees. Founded in 2018 and based in Tempe, Arizona, Simply Noted has grown into a thriving company with clients of various sizes across the country, including in hospitality, real estate, insurance, nonprofit, franchise, B2B, and others. Rick has served as the company's CEO since its founding for more than five years and has over a decade of sales and marketing industry experience. Rick, take a minute and tell us about the unique value that you bring to this wonderful world. Yeah, that's a great question. The, the first thing that comes to mind, you know, I'm a, I feel like I'm a provider and a protector for my my circle, and that's my uh, close friends and family. I feel like I've always kind of been the one to, you know, take that flag or that sword and, and go forward and, and lead into the uncertainty and help, you know, bring my friends and family with me. So, yeah, I would say that's kind of, you know, the thing that comes to mind. That's interesting because, um, you know, when you think about being an entrepreneur, you have two functions. One is grabbing the flag and getting people rallying behind you and moving that flag forward. But you're saying, yeah, which is as entrepreneurs ourselves, we both kind of like, oh yeah, sometimes that's really hard, but that's yeah, what we do. And the other yeah. part that I've been talking about recently with people around me is that we also have an obligation to protect the interests of our team. Mm -hmm. When people come in yeah. and say, hey, can you do this? Can you do that? Oh, can you reduce your price and all that? You know, ultimately, I say to people, look, I have a team and they have family. I have to make sure that I'm providing for them and getting a fair deal for them. And that's a new challenge kind of that I've thought a lot about. And so whenever I go out, for instance, to bid on something, I say, look, I've talked with my team. I'm not doing this on my own. I have a lot of interests I'm representing and uh, yeah. it makes it more comfortable. But sometimes it can be hard because you want to get the deal. I think you... I mean, I use that analogy all the time. You hit the nail on the head, especially in these service-based type of companies where when somebody buys something and it takes people to do that, you know, service for you, I'm always talking about those. Like, look, we're not getting rich off of this order. Like there are costs to this job, you know, and I have that same analogy with, you know, our clients. It's like, you know, I got to take care of our our employees and make sure they can put food on their tables and, and provide for their kids and all that stuff. So it's funny you said that because I, 
I do say that all the time to the ones who are like, <laughs> you want to pay like 50% of what we're asking for a service, you know? Yeah. Like, it's where's that whole stakeholder capitalism when it comes time to yeah. negotiate prices with these guys? <laughs> <laughs> now, That's I just funny. want to talk a little bit about Simply Noted. And, you know, I have my number one listener out there that I know is listening. She is absolute number one, never misses an episode and even talks to me about every episode. And that is my mother. And my mother is a handwritten notes woman. In fact, her friend who was dying of cancer, when I talked to her towards the end of her life, she said, you realize that your mother sent me a letter almost every day for the last year and a half. And that provided me so much inspiration. And I just thought, what a jerk I am because I just don't write letters and, and I don't take advantage of that really mm -hmm. personal communication. So that's yeah. part of the reason why I wanted to get you on the show, because I just feel like what you're doing is so interesting. So maybe you can tell people a little bit about what you're doing and, and help people understand it and how they can take advantage of it. Yeah. Well, first off, that's an incredibly powerful story, you know, connecting you know, with somebody like that is just so rare nowadays, especially that we live in a digital world. Now I grew up with handwritten notes, you know, I didn't get a cell phone until I was 16. So like I have a, a box of handwritten notes, you know, that I kept from like middle school and high school. And I played college football and, you know, the coaches that wrote me handwritten notes, I kept them. So, you know, they mean something, right? they're the keepsakes and they're, they're powerful, but yeah. So what's simply noted is, you know, we're, we're a handwritten notes platform. We help companies you know of all sizes from different industries either automate sending a handwritten note and these are authentic real genuine pen written notes they're not like laser printed so they're really nice you know we use really thick luxurious you know cardstock really nice pens really nice gel pens you know real physical forever stamps or you know we can help them automate it or help them scale it you know so for the companies who have like twenty thousand clients you know it's just incredibly impossible for you know, a rep or a CEO to sit down and say, thank you. Cause we just believe, you know, in the digital age that we live in today, you know, the average person receives over 4,000 notifications on their cell phone a month. You know, so if you think of email, social, text messages, phone calls, like I want to take my phone and just chuck it some days. I'm just like, there's, it's pulling so much attention. Right. But we've created that monster. And so what we're trying to do is to kind of, you know, when everybody zigged all these companies that are going digital with these email marketing tools, social tools, texting tools, you know, they zigged, we're zagging. We're going back to the good old fashioned, real authentic handwritten note, you know, that's kind of like a Trojan horse gets in there, gets open, gets read, you know, gets appreciated, gets kept, right. You know, mm. gets put on a desk, the shelf life's, you know, six, seven, eight weeks. So we're really just trying to help companies either, you know, a, you know, on retention, keep their clients happy, increase lifetime value, referrals, better reviews, or, you know, make some pretty unique, you know, outbound acquisition campaigns. You know, so some handwritten notes. it's such an interesting thing. And so, I mean, I can imagine the same questions you get over and over again, you know, that you've tried to answer right there. Cause the first question is, oh, wait a minute, this is just going to arrive and appear as a pseudo handwritten note. Yeah. 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 We've spent a lot of money to make sure it doesn't look like a fake handwritten note. So, you know, maybe in the early days, we used to use pen plotters. I actually draw pen plotters and quickly found out, you know, there's a ton of quality issues, not only with the machine, but with the, how it writes. You know, there's really too many, there's a lot of patterns within how it writes. So it does look a little bit robotic. 
Um, it doesn't give you the flexibility to introduce like writing nuances. So like people don't write in perfectly straight lines. They can either write up, they write down a little wavy, you know, the horizontal offset on the left-hand side of the card, it kind of varies. Ligature styles, you know, what two T's look like next to each other versus a T by itself. You know, what's an E look like at the beginning of a word versus inside a word versus at the end of the word. You know, so we've we have spent so much time in research and development and creating this writing robot that we just got done building intentionally because we wanted to make sure if someone was going to use our service, we have the responsibility to make sure that that handwritten note looks as good as possible, you know, as real as possible, because that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to connect people with an authentic experience or right? an authentic handwritten note. And just the technologies, the technologies that were available cannot do that. So, okay. Yeah. And the second question is, do notes really work? In other words, you know, do people go, oh, oh, this is not really from the heart or I, you know, I just, I'm curious, like how, how somebody, and maybe the best way to answer yeah. that is kind of like how some of your clients have really made it so that it does work. Yeah. So, you know, for the story, like your mom, we always recommend, like, if you have the stationery and the stamps and the pen, like in-house, and you're going to send like one card a day, we always recommend to do it yourself then you know there's just you can't beat it right but for those times when you don't have a stamp and you don't have a card and you want to just send one you can always go to the website or our website and send it but really what simply noted is you know we're a tool for businesses to to integrate and automate or scale so if you think about you know a client who has a crm or you know a billing system and they want to automate a thank you card that goes out on time we would get notified through that trigger and the action would be sending a handwritten note and it's all completely custom. So we're just trying to make it more efficient because we all know what happens. Everybody has the intentions to do it, but we just don't have the time to do it. And then if you wait a week, right, things build up and then it just gets pushed to the side. So we're just trying to, you know, help companies do it, but we absolutely recommend, you know, nothing really truly beats a genuine sit down, do it yourself type of handwritten note, but, we're just there to help, you know, if you can't do that. And the other question is, you know, let's say half of my audience is outside of America. So a lot of times when we see services like this, you're like, oh yeah, this is only gonna go out to, you know, in the US or something, or is it something that could be used internationally or is it better for someone who's trying to communicate with people in the US? So we do work internationally. It would not be a good tool for someone to send one card at a time internationally because we would have to put an international stamp on it. So it really wouldn't make sense to see that big international stamp on a card, you know, but for the businesses, you know, or individuals who want to you know, put a bulk order in or, or buy cards for the year and somehow we can help them with that project. We just put them in a box and drop ship it to them. And that that way, you know, the envelopes are done or the cards are done. And all they need to do is put a stamp on it and it gets shipped locally. So it has a local post stamp on it or a postmark. That's, that's fascinating. And so let's just say someone in Thailand, as an example, has a thousand customers that they want to communicate mm -hmm. in this way. And maybe three holidays out of the year, they may decide or twice a year, they may decide they want to do that. Mm -hmm. It sounds like that, that can make sense. Yeah, exactly. The companies outside the U.S. do. That's great. I mean, I, I find it so hard, I'm sure. I mean, and I come from an age of writing, handwriting, but I know, as I've heard from my friends, is that kids these days can't even sign their names sometimes. Like, they don't have the writing <laughs> yeah. skills. So this has got to yeah. be something that's going to be 
Fantastic. And where are you as far as in the business is concerned? Where do you see growth? What about funding kind of just as if we were doing yeah. an interview on a startup podcast, you know, what would you what would be your pitch about kind of where you're at and where you're going? Yeah, so simply noted it is completely customer funded. We have no loans, no debt, no investors. That was done on purpose. We wanted to prove, you know, basically have a proof of concept before we ever went to raise money. Also, I knew this was going to be something pretty big and I didn't want to give away too much too early. I started this on a $10,000 0% interest credit card. You know, fast forward five years, now we have millions in revenue. We should qualify for the Inc. 5000 this year, which is the U.S.'s fastest growing 5,000 private companies. You know, 11 full-time employees. We have the robot that we just put $800,000 into, and that's all, you know, funds from customers. That's not our money. We just reinvested it. We're going to have six patents on it, three design, three utility. We're the only company in the world that's truly built its own handwriting robot. You know, other there are a couple companies out there, but they use Axe to draw pen plotters, which there's a lot of problems and it's impossible to scale. But yeah, I think Simply Noted is just getting to the part to, you know, we're, we're coming into a whole of new problems. You know, our website had over 324,000 users last month. Mm. And with that type of volume, it's incredibly difficult to customer experience, you know, your, your servers are crashing because, you know, our, our user base kind of grew a little bit too quickly and it's creating a bunch of new problems we never even saw or even thought about that we'd have. So I'm trying on for as long as I can, but, you know, funding is in the future, but simply not, it was built to sell. You know, I, this was my first business, my first idea, you know, this, this can be a hundred million dollar business, but it's going to take a, you know, some type of investment banker, you know, large corporation with the deep pockets and systems in place to do that. Yep. You know, I would need, you know, a 40,000 square foot building and like a hundred employees and, and to grow to that, you need to be in debt for three or four or five years. And that's nothing I want to deal with, you know? So yeah, but we're getting there, you know, we're almost five years into this. I've been really eat sleeping and, and dreaming and working and and crying about this yeah, for, since exactly. 2017 because it's extremely hard, right? Which so. we that's part of what we're going to talk about probably next. But <laughs> before we do that, yeah. let me ask you who would be yeah. the ideal buyer? So, an ideal buyer would be seeing like Martech, you know, marketing business, direct mail company who wants mm -hmm. to get into this type of space. We do have a few, you know, companies that we're eyeing to position. I'm thinking about, you know, probably exiting in the next year or so. Yep. But yeah, I would say it's either in like the direct mail space, like the MarTech space, you know, like a, a SaaS company who wants to add a physical handwritten note service and a user base, or just like an investment banker who wants to just come in, buy most of this out, let me run it and grow it. Yeah. So I would hmm. say those are probably like the three or four ideal acquisition partners. I asked that question because one of the one of the most successful people that I knew that I helped sell his business, which we eventually sold it to Microsoft from almost day one, he knew who his buyer was. And I really admired that. <laughs> like he, that's awesome. He, yeah. And so I always tell people, you know, start writing down the names of the buyers now. Yeah. And yeah. He and I, I make friends with all of them. And that's yeah. something. Yeah. I, I reach out when I see them post something, I'm always writing on their stuff. Congratulations. Awesome. I'm aging. I'm trying to. I planted the seed a while ago and just keep watering a little bit here. Yep. <laughs> Wait exactly. The sprout. Yeah. He went to every trade show that Microsoft did. 
and he used and he demonstrated to them like the things he was employing of the tools that they were developing. So exciting. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I look forward to, uh, to seeing your continued, you know, growth and all that, but now it is time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Yeah, so this, this is a great question. So my background's in athletics and I had the bright idea of starting a software robotics and industrial automation company. <laughs> so this has been a, an incredibly wild ride to say the least. I was incredibly ambitious, you know, incredibly ignorant to, you know, ambitious to see the big goal, big picture, but incredibly ignorant to know like what was actually going to go into this. It's been really hard. And over the last, so we started this in 2017, I've worked with three different developers and the thing that will make or break your business if it's online is a good developer, especially if you have like backend programs or technology that are running, you know, offsite, you know, behind the scenes to make everything run online. Because when you're working with developers, which is hard, if you can't explain the perfect picture upfront of what you want, which can never happen, mm. as you get three months into the project, you run into new problems and that changes the scope of work that you talked about three months ago. And as that gets harder, costs go up, right? Projects get delayed. And then if you get six months down the line or a year into it and you realize, crap, this wasn't the right platform to build this on because now we want to go in this direction and it doesn't work properly, we have to start over. So you just wasted 12 months, budget, plus now you got to go through the whole process again, start over and go through it all again. So that's the ignorant part of what I've had to go through. You know, we started on a... I mean, it was like Squarespace, like it was like a terrible website, had no clue what I was doing. Then we went to, um, what was it? It was another old out, outdated platform. I forget, but I mean, we went on three different platforms. But what we've realized in order to be able to integrate and play well with all the other softwares, you have to have a fully custom app. You have to be able to fully control everything that you're building. And right now, you know, we're on Shopify, which Shopify kind of keeps you in a box. They they want you to play within their ecosystem, mm. but that's not what the world wants. So, yeah, I would say um, definitely, definitely the hard thing about growing a business is seeing the future, even though the future is really hard to predict because, you know, you have to write that clear picture. You got to have those wireframes of what you want, how they're going to work, be very clear about the expectations, about how it's going to be, <laughs> the functions are going to operate, which is impossible. So, I would think, you know, a lot of people I've talked to have the same headaches of dealing with software because it's just no matter how clear you are with expectations, it's going to be a headache. And then there's always going to be bugs. Like mm -hmm. there'll be no problems with our website. And then Shopify will release like a an update. And then one of my APIs is outdated, you know, and it crashes everything. I'm just like, <laughs> it's just like incredibly frustrating. So, yeah, I would first off would recommend you know, start a business, you know, where you're a complete expert. Don't just go off in the left field and start a software robotic or, you know, something that's completely out of there. But yeah. yeah. Left field, a sports reference. Yeah. I know. Shocker, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious, like when was the most, what was the day that you were most disappointed by, you know, developers, software, the situation, you know, in this aspect? 
So doing this with no money or no money, like we've had to, we live and die by what we eat or hunt and kill every single month. Right. So what we go out and get. and I work really hard and so does our sales team to go out and prospect and bring interested clients in. And we had a seven figure contract with, you know, with the client we were already working with for almost a year and we were trying to sign a multi-year contract with them, but it really predicated on getting a robot done. The current robot that we were using could not scale with them. It wasn't good enough. And we were talking with them saying, Hey, like, this is where we're at. Come look at it. It's being done. And we had a software development team, electrical engineering team, and a mechanical engineering team. And they were supposed to be done six months before our new contract negotiation was going to get done. So they were already way behind, like way behind. So like mm. we should have had a robot done before we even got to the new contract negotiation. So yeah, that one's so hard to, to swallow. But yeah, when we got to that new contract negotiation, we put in all that work for almost three years. A lot of sleepless nights, a lot of money. You know, we've we've done everything that I can control, right? It was in the hands of the people who were paying, you know, our, our developers and our engineers, and they just couldn't get it done. Mm. And we ended up losing that seven-year contract. And again, being a no debt, no funds, no investors business, like it was a hard, hard pill to swallow. But you know, me, I, I just it, it makes me, I don't want to say it makes me angry, but like it makes me more like competitive. Like, I, I can do this. It's okay. I'm going to make it work. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to work. You know, it's like my athletic background kicked in. I was like, no worries. Wake up the next day and get to work again. So, <laughs> kind of like Michael Jordan when he finds his nemesis that, you know, pisses him off, then uh, it just <laughs> fires him up. So, so yeah. how would you summarize the lessons? I mean, you think about it from a perspective of there's a lot of new people out there that are starting up startup businesses in the the modern era of software and apps, and it's amazing and all of that. Tell us about the lessons that you learned from this experience. Yeah, well, the first thing is that there's going to be like no straight line to success. It's going to be constant ups and downs. There may be a lot more downs than ups, and you can't not start something because you're afraid of how hard it's going to be or because you don't have all the answers. I think a lot of self-discovery happens within the journey. And, you know, like looking back at my own football career and you know, my last year in the NFL, you know, some of the things I enjoyed the most about football was the 15 years that led up to that last year. You know, all the things I love doing, you know, it was the working out, it was the competing, you know, the locker room lifestyle, the friends, the relationships, right? So the journey, you know, I realized was what was really what I asked the most. And the journey is really part of the dream or the journey is the dream. You know, you're going through it, you're figuring it out, you're growing, you're becoming better. You're not sure it's really hard. You're trying to birth something that doesn't exist. You're trying to create something that never was. You're trying to sell it. You're trying to scale it. You're trying to sell other people why they should come work for you. Right. So it's an incredible amount of work. But I would say to anybody starting it, it's just you have to get started. You can't be afraid to fail. You have to fail early and often. You have to learn. You can't give up. You get knocked down, just like how we lost that seven-figure contract. You get up and you let it motivate you, you know, and even more, you know, motivation. You let it drive you, right? Like there's a reason that we lost that, right? Like I can cry about it. I can get, you know, upset about it, but no, I'm gonna learn from it. I should have probably started that project earlier. Or I should have, you know, made the project requirements a lot less. You know, I could have done things differently that could have got us across that finish line. So it was just a learning experience. Mm. 
Maybe I'll share a few things. I mean, first of all, you know, let me just summarize some of the things that I heard from you. Obviously, Simply Noted is trying to get this real handwritten notes out there. You mentioned that people are hit by 4,000 messages or incoming contacts per month. I was going to say, oh, per day? <laughs> but yeah, that, per month, okay, probably even underestimating it. You know, you also mentioned that you're customer funded. I've never actually heard someone say that. Normally we would say self-funded. So I love that because it really shows that customers are contributing to the expansion of the business. And hopefully, as you mentioned, you're going to get on that Inc. 5000 coming up. So that's really exciting. Amazing that you're customer funded. You're where you're at with 11 employees and you've spent $800,000 on this robot. That's incredible. And then the one thing that made me think when you were talking about, we had 324,000 website users last month, which brings all kinds of new problems. And I just thought how the listeners and myself are thinking to ourselves, God, I'd love to have those problems. And <laughs> the bigger, yeah, bigger problems, a lot more money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because the 324 yeah, yeah. people who visited my website last night didn't cause any problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, just learned uh, that's a that type of web traffic's in the top two percent of all websites on on the web. So that that was pretty cool to figure yeah. out as well. And then, you know, we talked about exiting, which actually what you're talking about more like is transitioning as opposed to you exiting, because it sounds like you got more fire in you to, to run this business, but it's about to go to the next big level, you really got to scale. And so that's something you don't want to do alone. So those are the things that I gained from what you said about the business, but I just wanted to mention a couple of things. You also, you know, talked about the journey. And I just love the idea that there's no straight line to success. It is a lot of ups and downs. And you talked also about self-discovery and you said kind of that the journey is the, the dream. It's like, I think that so much of the time we're so focused on getting the result because it's food on the table. Mm -hmm. So it's natural that we're focused on the result. But I think what I take away from what you're saying is the idea that you know, step back, you got food on the table 365 days last year or this year, what are you learning? And that yeah. I think is a huge thing. And, and the final thing I, uh, I took away is, you know, let your losses drive you. And that really, I think from my own perspective, I've lost a lot of opportunities. And in most cases, it was very justified. There mm -hmm. was a good reason why they walked away. It's, it's hard to acknowledge that, right? We just weren't good enough at the time, right? Or there's something was not there at the time, or maybe it just wasn't a good fit at the time. I think that's really powerful. I mean, maybe anybody can take that as the most powerful thing from this podcast. It's like, yeah, there's a reason we failed learning from it, right? You have to pay attention, be self-critical, right? Don't ignore it. Because a lot of people, when bad things happen, they don't like the the look at it. They like to turn their head because looking at it is painful, right? Like I have a couple situations like that. It, it took me 10 years to get over, you know, looking back at my football career. It's just like, man, I would have been X time, 10 X more successful if this didn't happen. You know, if, mm. yeah. A lot of them were self-controllable. <laughs> yeah. So, and that, and that's yeah. another lesson I've learned through the podcast is you're going to make mistakes and you're going to go wrong directions 
and you won't even know it at the time. So that's just part of life. One of my guests, Lance Depew, is a really excellent investor with many years of experience. And he described this amazing investment that he's been buying and holding for 20 years and eventually sold at a massive loss. And I said, at the end, I was just like, you did everything right, you know, as a financial guy and an analyst. But, you know, my conclusion from this, his story was just simply that you're going to lose. There are times that you're going to lose. And that is just life. So let me ask you, think about a young person like yourself when you started off this company, based on what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you take or recommend that our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? So there's there's a good quote by Jim Collins. It's called Bullets and Cannabis Analogy. But this is the only reason we've been successful I would say this is like one of my my best business capabilities or disciplines is that you have to do a lot of tests, you know, so say you have you know, $5,000 and that's all you have to start a business. You shouldn't just go throw all that money away at the first opportunity. What you need to do is you need to do a bunch of test shots. So imagine like you're on a pirate ship and you're fighting one-on-one against another pirate ship and you only have one cannonball. So you, what you need to do is line up that cannon, right? Take a few, you know, test shots, right? And then when you know it's going to be a dead on hit, you throw that cannonball in and that cannonball is going to save you. Right. So that's what we've done here at Simply Noted. It's a lot of test, 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 shoot, test, 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 shoot. And that's how we've mitigated risk to be an entrepreneur, a successful entrepreneur. You have to be disciplined. You have to mitigate risk. You got to take risk, but you got to take the right risk. You got to take calculated risk. And the only way you can do that is just by test. Like you're going to be tempted like, oh, this sounds great. This is going to change everything. There's no easy button. There's no soft route that's going to change anything. Don't listen to these YouTube gurus. You know, I'm a content consumer. I listen to a lot of stuff. Mm. The only way to become an, an overnight success, it takes years. You know, my, I have a business mentor. He said, it took me 20 years to become an overnight success. I yep. just love that quote. You know, so don't pay attention. To these Gary V's like, oh, work 27 hours a day and you'll become yeah. successful this, you know, like it just walk your own path, try to become better every single day, seek growth, right? Seek education, mm. you know, test, yeah. test. And, and don't put all your up. money down on red. No. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So what's, I mean, I, I think the answer is obvious and I'm going to say your website, but what's a resource that you'd recommend for our listeners? Well, I'm a big self-education person. So if I'm not going to like, you know, shamelessly plug Simply Noted, I I use Coursera, you know, Coursera a lot for self-education. So I'm going through like a CS50s class right now. So so again, my pain point is working with software developers. So I'm going through a software development course on Coursera to learn how to be more competent when talking to them and asking the right questions. So I'm trying to solve my own problem by self-educating. So I would say become a student at life, a student at your craft. You never will have all the answers. There's someone out there that's better than you. There's someone on the on your heels that's trying to come and take you down or take your place or take your clients. Like I, I feel that every day. Mm. But if you just, you know, spend 30 minutes a day researching, testing, developing, learning, nobody else is going to do that. And within you're going to be ahead of anybody else. I mean, in five years, you'll be years ahead of everybody else. Great. All right. Last question. What is your number one goal for the next 12 months? Well, we're in production phase of our robots. And then now we're starting off a new web app for our website. So we just 
now that we have a robot, we just want to give the best experience and product to our clients. And that's where we're going with building our new website. So if anybody has any feature ideas, you know, if they want to see something that we don't offer, we highly, highly recommend you reach out to us because we're in that building phase right now. Mm. And yeah, because the next big hurdle is an enterprise level website app. And then hopefully within a year or two after that, we're <laughs> exiting or taking an investment and scaling and really growing. So. Fantastic. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. If you haven't yet joined the Become a Better Investor community, just go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now. As we conclude, Rick, I want to thank you again for joining our mission. And on behalf of Ace Dots Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Never give up. You don't fail until you quit. Beautiful. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. Let's celebrate that today we added one more person to our mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.